Hey everybody, it is episode 93 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris and Steve coming at you from a cool-ish Austin, Texas as we get a quote-unquote cold front coming in today. We're excited to be back with you after a 10-day hiatus where I was on a little trip to Europe with our Rogue Expeditions crew. We've had Allison Maxis on the podcast before who runs Rogue Expeditions and I went with them to Slovenia and Croatia and had an absolutely epic trip doing runs in Slovenia and Croatia and eating as much as I was running <laughs> for sure with some and really, drinking. really good food. So I, I would, saw a few glasses of wine. There was consumed. a few, few glasses, some I bottles. saw another one of our guests, uh, James Dodds, pontificating on some <laughs> mystical theories of life after a few yes. after a few glasses of wine, I believe, yes. in, in, in beautiful James Dodds fashion. Yes, it was unbelievable trip. I highly recommend it for anybody who's looking at a running adventure. We missed you here, out, Chris. Check out RogueExpeditions.com. We missed you here. All of us missed you here. I missed the podcast, but I was And we missed some big info. We had a we did. big, big doings <laughs> while, while you were doings. out on your trip. And we talked about the big doings on our Berlin preview. We'll get to all of that today. Our reactions now that we've had about 10 days to think on it. Today we're also going to do kind of a, a smaller topic today. Maybe small in terms of the amount of time we spend, but big I think for many of you, which is that a lot of you are getting ready for upcoming fall races from Chicago to New York. And of course, we've got a bunch of people doing CIM in December. Lots of fall marathons and other races coming up. And so we're going to do a little episode today on how, how can you kind of dot your I's and cross your T's on final prep for your races. So some final tips as we get you ready for the fall racing season as it comes. But of course, we've got intro topics today and lots to cover as we recap Berlin, Steve. So we'll start there. We've got to start. On the men's <laughs> side, because there is only one goat in the conversation now as it relates to men marathon, men's marathoning, and that's Elliot Kipchoge, who got the world record, as you predicted, although about a minute faster than you predicted, in just extraordinary fashion, Steve. I know we were exchanging some texts on this while I was in Europe, and you had some pretty big things to say about this result where do you think this sits in terms of distance running performances all time? Yeah, immediately I texted you and said, this is the greatest marathon performance that I have ever witnessed in my life. And that's going up against um, Paula Radcliffe's 215, which I think this um, this result is better than that result. And And it's not, I think that result was more surprising probably than this was. There was a moment I think all of us went while we still are continuing to underestimate Ilya Kipchoge, but we weren't like, this is beyond the realm of belief. Although we probably should have that reaction that this is beyond the realm of belief when you look at the percentage of increase in terms of performance. But when Paula did what she did, no one, it was jaw dropped. There was no, it was five minutes faster than anything else we'd ever seen. But in the subsequent years, there've been lots of questions about the, that result. And is that a question about just when you see a big result like that, that you question whether or not Paula was clean or not clean? And I don't want to get into that topic, Chris, because at this point it's in time, a rabbit hole. It's, she's clean and it is a clean result. But this, Chris, I think that kind of the way that it, it all played out, 
um, and the way that he did it to Chris with no one to run with. He basically ran every one of his pacers, pacers who were brought in specifically for him, who said they were prepared and ready to do it. But he broke the world record for the 30K, right? Yep. So you would have had to break the 30K world record in order to stay with him. And who in the world can do that except for Ilya Kipchoge? So the fact that his pacers got him as far as they got him is probably near a miracle. But the way that he dispatched mile after mile, K after K, the calm, cool, and collectedness he had throughout the entire race, the, you know, it's like a workman, but not a robot. You know, he's like, he's got that look of the proletariat, like the, every man out there doing his work because he's not the most beautifully gifted, you know, smooth and effortless flow. He works at it. Um, I just came away in awe of someone I was already absolutely in awe of. And this is, a, we, he is Im- immortal at this point <laughs> in my mind. And this result puts him in a pantheon of the greatest marathon of all time, the greatest runner of all time, and close to the greatest running performances, if not the greatest running performance. At this point, the only performance I would say in my mind is greater than this is Roger Bannister's sub four minute mile. And that's primarily that is because there were three other guys that were chasing that result. This is probably a better feat. It just doesn't have the same impact on the rest of the world the way the four-minute mile did. But I think this is probably the best physical feat of performance that we've ever seen ever in the world. Maybe not the most important feat, but the most physically mind-blowing to me. And, Chris, we've been paying attention for a long time to this stuff. We're not, you know, I think that it's just amazing. I'll, I'll shut up now because I'll just <laughs> keep going and going. It and is you've amazing. Got other ways to talk. Other ways to talk about this. It is amazing. Just because of how he did it. I mean, we knew he was great. But I said it in the preview. I didn't think that the world record was possible because I didn't think he would have people to push him beyond Mm. that 30K point or to even get him to that 30K point. And that proved true. And yet he still kept getting faster. And at this point, you know, he ran the first half and 101.06 and then the second half in one flat 30 Three. three, I think. 33. And and so he ran the two halves of his marathon faster than anybody has ever covered a half of a marathon ever. And to do that and be able to get faster over that final half as the Pacers fell away, to run the final 10 miles essentially by himself, getting faster as he went, just absolutely unbe- unbelievable. And then, of course, he ran into the arms of his coach at the end like he had a, another like a little bit left. I mean, if you think about this race, like he probably had he run slightly more even splits, he probably left a little bit on the table. Not a lot, but a little bit on the table even on that day. And it's it's unbelievable. It's yeah, truly our, unbelievable. Our listeners will probably remember me just gushing about the way that Jordan Hesse closed Chicago last year. Well, this was this was even more impressive. I mean, he was accelerating, accelerating. There was no kick, but does Kipchoge need to kick? No. I mean, he even looked at the 5,000 meter that he beat Hisham El Garusha at the Olympic Games, and he doesn't re- he, he's not a kicker. He's just an accelerator, and he just runs people off their wheels and just keeps accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. I think this guy's faster, Chris. For sure. He, I mean, I mean he's going to, he can run under 201 by himself. I, I believe that. Now, I think he's not going to get two hours. I think age is going to catch up with him. Some other things are going to catch up with him. And he's got other things to worry about now, but it, it'll be interesting to see how he frames this, and how this plays out. But, I mean, Chris, we are looking at 
we are wa- we are witnessing something um, in the years that we've been watching Ilya Kipchoge these last three to five years of rewriting the record books in the marathon and honestly rewriting the way that we think about distance running. And he's bringing up, this is the, the athlete that we can all look at and be proud of because we think he's as clean as you can get. He approaches this from a standpoint that almost everyone can appreciate because he's a monk. He takes care of his business. He's a, he's a multimillionaire, yet he lives and cleans latrines at his own training camp. He makes dinner for the athletes and his own team, and he treats everybody as, as if they're all his own teammates. He comes to the race with a mental preparation that's equal to his physical preparation. He knows that the X, that this game is more than just a physical feat. It's a feat of the mind. It's a feat of the body. It's a feat of the spirit. And he's connected to all those things. When people call him Yoda, they're not playing around. He really is um, operating at the highest level that we see in sport and doing it with a calm, cool, and collectedness and a, and a, a grace, Chris, that's just beyond um, what we can expect. I mean, we are we're witnessing one of the greatest physical, one of the greatest athletes in the world operating at the highest levels of their craft at a time when most everybody's crying in their soup over drugs and poor leader, poor leaders and poor role models and everything else. Well, fuck that. Look at Ilya Kipchoge. Just look at him. He, that's the way you do it. And, and it's just mind boggling. And hopefully the world, the rest of the world is also witnessing this greatness and recognizing it for what it is, because it's beyond, it's equal to Muhammad Ali. It's equal to Hank Aaron's 700, 700, Home runs. It's it is it is one, if not the great great. We're seeing one one, if not the greatest string of racing performances that have ever been witnessed in the world ever. Yeah, and grace is I think the right word. Humility. I mean, the humor he showed. I mean, I don't know if you saw the clip where he was asked what's next, and he said, "Well, I guess I have to run two o two because I've run two o five, I've run two o four, I've run two o three, now I've run two o one. I have never run two o two. So he's like, I guess I got to go run two o two. So he's made a joke there, and <clears throat> but let, I want to go back to you making the comment that he's clean, and I've I know you believe that at, at times I've shown some skepticism related to him, but as I've gotten to know him a little better over the last couple years and doing covering him as we've covered him through this podcast, I have to say I'm a believer, and even through this Berlin cycle. I learned some things that make me even more of a believer that he's doing this the right way. And I think you have to look at his full body of work to, you know, to believe that what he's doing is possible. And, you know, I read an article about his, his connection to Patrick Sang, his coach, that I didn't realize that it started when he was in middle school, essentially, you know, had shown some potential as a runner but didn't really have a lot of direction and he found Patrick Sang he started giving him direction so he's essentially been training under Patrick Sang since he was in middle school people question his age but at 18 he won the world champs in the 5k beating two of the greatest runners of all time in Bikeli and Hisham El Garouge and so he's shown this potential from early age and he has put together consistent year after consistent year of work since then under a unified system with simple yet thorough and complete kind of training pers- training per- approach guided by Patrick saying 
And so he's done all of that work and consistently been honing his craft since he was literally in middle school. Combine that with his clear mental prowess, his his ability to crowd out the noise, to focus on himself and what he needs to do in the simple elements and not get distracted by the noise or the money or, or the fame that he's that has been brought to him. And so he's got this rare combination of certainly talent, but consistent hard work and also just an unmatched mental prowess in this game that I think has elevated him to this point. And we're witnessing it. And we're witnessing greatness. I mean, and, and it's it's almost comical at this point comparing him to other of the top marathoners because he's so he seems to be so far beyond it's to me I kind of liken it to Bolt when he was at his heyday versus every other sprinter where he was just dominating the fields to the point where in Beijing you basically shut it down with 10 15 meters ago and still set a world record and humiliated the field like that's kind of what we're seeing now with Kipchoge but maybe even more impressive because because of the duration of work that he has to put in and how much he has to rely on that work versus talent. It's just, it's mind blowing and super inspiring for me as a runner to watch. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the pe- people want to compare his result to Usain Bolt. And I, I just don't think there's any comparison. I think Kipchoge, what Kipchoge is doing and what he's doing at this point in time. Um, yeah. He didn't have a world record, but the way in which he was decimating fields was, was, I guess, in a lot of the ways that, that Usain Bolt did, but the hundred and the marathon are so different. Um, and I don't mean to disparage the 100-meter dash, but much of what Usain Bolt brought to the table was, was born. Physical talent. Physical talent. And, and, and Kipchoge is no different from the tens of thousands of other Kenyans that have come down the road. Um, Usain Bolt is a, was, was a freak of nature, and, and, and in no way is Ilya Kipchoge a freak of nature. Um, he's a freak of nature not, compared to you and me. Yeah, but but not but, relative to his but cohorts. not relative to the rest of the field and everybody else. So, and this is no slight to Usain Bolt, but Usain Bolt also we know for a fact didn't work as anywhere near as hard as Kipchoge works. Um, right. But anyway, it, the, I guess it's really a hundred meter dash marathon. What's the difference? Does it really matter? Probably not. But um, I just think it's not. I don't believe it's hyperbole to say we're seeing. I don't even think you compare him to both. I think you look at the Hank Aarons of the world. You look at the absolute greatest, greatest sporting Michael, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. This is this is the now and Usain Bolt is probably a part of that, but this is you know this is like anything unlike anything we've ever seen. And 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 we're and we're not done yet, Chris. Like, what's next for him? Yeah, what? what's next? I mean, that is a question. I I, I saw an article on Let's Run, read by Jonathan, written by Jonathan Gall, where he talked about. This, in a sense, is similar to Paulo's result in that it kind of has taken the world record talk off the table as it relates to other athletes for a while. You know, that may be 15 more years until we get an athlete who can challenge this result. And Kipchoge can really only be the one. But, you know, he's going to need good conditions, pacers who can help him perhaps a little bit more than they did today to see significant results. And he only gets two times a year to really go at it. So what more is there to do for him? Will he go after breaking to 2.0? Will he continue to trace, chase his own world record, which although that will be less perhaps interesting than this result, will he go to Boston and New York and, and to Tokyo and try to sweep 
the majors in terms of victories. I mean, what will he do? We don't know yet, and he hasn't said other than that joke about having to run 202. What do you think? Well, I think... I think, or what would you want to see? I guess well, is more is a better question. Well, I don't. What I want to see and what he'll do, the, in the first case, is probably the two things I want to see him do. For me, and that's not be, not to not to garner him any benefit, but just two things I think would be great to see is he. It seems like the sub two stuck in his craw that he got so close and he missed, and I think he knows that he did everything he could. Um, it seems like almost like this world record. I truly believe this world record came off the back of that result, and he could not have gotten it last year. The level of competition he was going up against, but also the weather, and then, and then frankly, just the effort of that sub two was so difficult that we saw that training effect not come really into fruition until this cycle. And so I think what he's going to do is probably go after that sub two and then go after the Olympic gold medal. And to me, those are the only two things he, I really think that, that he needs to do. Um, if someone chases his world record, if he wants to continue to chase the world record, that's great. That's fantastic. But as you said, it won't be quite as interesting. I probably won't even tune in. You know what I mean? I'll wait and see the next morning what happened. And right. I won't disturb my sleep like I did this one and just sit there fucking jaw dropped going, oh, my God, what was that split? What was that split? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be more along the line. But I will do that for, for the breaking two. And I will watch him. If he wins, if he breaks two and then he also sets the... Well, and he sets he wins a second Olympic gold medal um, at his age that he'll be at that point in time. At that point, I think I hope he really does retire, spends the time with his family that he deserves. Um, maybe moves into coaching and moves into other roles. Who knows uh, what else he'll need to do? You know that this is a question that all great athletes always have to ask themselves from whether they were a, a good high school athlete to best in the world is what's what's your next what's your next thing and. Um, Maybe Kipchoge's the kind of guy that, that doesn't want to do that. I don't know. But those are the two things I'd like to see. What about you? What what two things would you like to well, see? Well, I'd like to see him run Boston and New York and get wins there. That's a selfish American's perspective. I, I don't think he will. I, you know, I don't think I don't think we're going to see that from him. I think what you're talking about probably makes the most sense of really going for that that two-hour barrier at another attempt. You know, I know... He and Nike have both talked about small tweaks that they can make to get him a better shot the next time. And, you know, that would be unbelievable. Although at this point, I don't know how interesting that is to me. Like, I believe he could do it. I believe he just needs another shot with the right conditions. That's very true. That's and a it's very sort of true. Like, it's sort of like, you know, at the time before he ran two hours and 25 seconds in Monza earlier last year before that i thought there's no way there's no way he would be close but then he did it it <laughs> darn near almost made it by a second you know missed it by a second a mile and so now after especially after seeing this result i sort of believe that it's possible so it, i don't know that even it's even more that interesting to me <clears throat> but the I same with the goal met with i mean for tokyo is that i mean we do have some time so right well, we're I, I guess i would well i would just love to see him continue to dispatch <coughs> top competition in marathons without pacers like yeah. to me that would be more interesting as a fan to watch like i would love to see him in boston against joffrey karui and yes, that would Rupp be that and would Mo be Farah just going toe-to-toe with no pacers playing the cat and mouse game that we're you have to play we're gonna get that at the olympics we though. should we're gonna get and that that'll at the be olympics. awesome but i would love to see more of that in his twilight or whatever you want to call it his his final few years at, at his peak because to me, that's just going to be more interesting. At this point, I, b- I believe everything is possible for him and from a time perspective. But, you know, from that, 
idea, though, remember, a lot of these fuckers are going to fucking dodge him, dude. Like, that's what happened to Boston. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, we were like, that's what happened to Berlin. Nobody wanted to get on the line with him, dude. It's like, <laughs> like the only one, Kip Sang was the only one, and dude, he just got, and he ran a great race. He I did. mean, we, we, for we, his, for we got sake. to give Kip Sang some props because he ran a really, really good race for him. Yeah. But it, it's just like, no one's going to, who's going to, who's going to step to the line, man? I mean, I don't know. It's like I don't know. I mean, I think Farah has the arrogance to do it. Yeah. Once he, I mean, if Farah does he, that, it once beats he proves him. that he can, yeah. uh, once he learns the marathon a little bit more, I'll, I'll say, I think he'll have the arrogance to try to go after Kipchoge. But and and like you said, we'll probably see that at the Olympics. But I'd like to see more of it. To me, the racing, like I want to see this guy compete head to head with people with no pacers that just make them look silly anyway like that to me would be more interesting but you're probably right he'll want to get under the two-hour barrier he'll want that olympic gold medal i was reading some articles that were saying that might be hard for him in two years time when he's supposedly 35 at that point some people speculate he's a couple years older than that because kenyan birth records aren't necessarily (laughs) dialed in but to me even a 37 or 38 year old kipchoge on the form he's been showing is gonna be enough to dispatch everybody in an Olympic, you know, medal race in Tokyo. But I certainly can't wait to watch that and ho- hope he'll toe the line there. I think he will, but you never know. I guess he could choose to retire before that. So let's talk briefly about the rest of the field. We already mentioned we got to give Kip Seng props. I. I did not give him the credit he deserved, I must admit, in the preview. You certainly did. You had him on the podium, so you, you get full credit for that. Amos Capruto ended up second, 206.23. Kip Seng was third, 206.48. So solid results for those two for the Kenyan sweep, but they got beat by nearly five minutes, Steve. I mean, how embarrassing is that it's not <laughs> it's not embarrassing it's not. you just got beat that's like i don't know it's i don't know it's i rocky marciano getting to the ring with uh muhammad ali i don't i mean i don't i mean or like some run of the mill i mean not run of the mill but a, a, a world-class boxer get into the ring with muhammad ali at the top of his game i mean it's like i, yeah. I don't know it's like yeah they're but, just but five minutes i mean that to me is just insane it's a lot of time that is a lot uh, a 206 time. is not good at Berlin. It's not what we're looking for in Berlin, right? That Certainly is Certainly with good conditions. Right. You, you would hope that people would have run faster because the weather conditions were optimal, and they had their own pacers. So, you know, they, they split the pacers up, and you, even at the K-Mark, they were already split off, and it was two yeah. different races, and it was do your best, but... It was over at that yeah. point. Yeah. In terms of the race for first. So, yeah, you got to tip your hat to those guys, but if I'm Wilson saying. You know, I don't think there's any part of me that believes I could ever challenge Kipchoge again. Uh, he probably thinks he can, but <laughs> that's just, Kip Sang is a strange bird. He is not, he is definitely does not float in the, uh, live in the world of the real world that the rest of us live in. So he's probably the only one on the face of the planet that actually thinks he might have a chance to still beat him. Um, he's he's a strange bird, that one, Kip Sang. <laughs> so, so then last question, and then we'll talk about some Americans on the on the men's side and then the women's race who can challenge Kipchoge let's assume he's in this game for at least two more years or three years gets his sub two at some point maybe breaks his own world record 
and goes after that Olympic gold in Tokyo. Is there anybody in that time frame that you could see challenging him? Um, some unknown and unnamed Ethiopian who comes right <laughs> off a perfect drug cycle has a <laughs> chance to run with him. So I still think that that argument is there. I mean, we saw, um, we've seen performances recently. Um, you know, we just watched a guy, a guy named Sena run 205 low at, at, at a race in the middle of nowhere with terrible weather conditions. And so there are people who can run in that 203, 204, 202 range. 203, 204 range, but no one at this point, I don't think, uh, those even those results, results that we got, anybody that's gone under 203, that's like at 203 or under 203, that is next level shit. And I don't really see anybody out there that's going to be able to do that, so no one can. But there might be one of these, sorry, I apologize to all of our Ethiopian friends out there, but one of these doped up Ethiopians that comes off a, some perfect cycle that no one knows about and maybe he drops it. Or maybe Borrego will move up to the marathon right away or, you know. You know well, there you go. I mean, so I mean, those, some of those guys potentially. Yeah, I mean, you. but but Kajelka, I don't think, I think Kipchoge can beat Kajelka in a fucking 10K right now, in I a mean, half marathon What about marathon Joffrey right Karui? You know, Joffrey Karui. If he went for, for this time. Is, this is interesting. What what does Joffrey Crew? We still don't know anything about Joffrey Crew. He is still the unknown, but I don't think that he can run. I think I think Joffrey Crew is the one who would go for it. I think he's the one who is an animal enough. He's a dumb runner enough to go with him and just chase him and see what he could do. And in fact, Karui is probably at this point in time right now. Karui is my silver Olympic silver medalist at okay. at Tokyo, right? But I don't think he can run with Kipchoge, even if Kipchoge sat around and ran with 26, 20, everybody ran 20 miles together. If everybody ran 20 miles together and they said, okay, 10K race, go, right? Yep. Kipchoge still wins. <laughs> well, we'll learn a lot about Karui in Chicago because we'll see yes. him in a paced race against Farah and Ruff, and I'm sure they'll be going fast. So that'll be an interesting data point to see. And I think Farah is someone who's someone who can get in that 202 range. I don't know that Farah's got the time, and I wonder what this does to him. Does this encourage him or discourage him from a world record perspective to see the world record broken in such a way? to get it, you know, for He needs to get under 203 first in order to be even in that conversation. But I wonder if Farah's not just a little bit behind and this is a demoralizer rather than an encourager. I don't know. I think it's going to take another generation. It's the Baregas. It's the ones who, are, who were who are 10 years away from their marathon career, like, Kip, like yep. Kipchoge was, who will be emboldened by this kind of result and see it as a challenge um, rather than the other because it was such a jump, and, and it's going to be a while before we see anyone other than Kipchoge get it. I do think Jonathan Galt is right about that. I do think that this was a next-level shit performance. So <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> Incidentally, we were wrong on the unnamed Ethiopian Absolutely. on the podium. We and, and as I look at the top 25 results, there wasn't a single Ethiopian athlete in the top 25 at Berlin, which is a little bit of an indictment on what they're doing right now. But an Ethiopian woman almost won the damn thing. <laughs> Rudy Aga. Watch out for her. Watch as out I for predicted. her. You did. You got that one right. Now, that's a good segue. Well, actually, before we go to the women's race, let's talk about the, the, the U.S. men for a second. We had our best result or top American in the field was Fernando Cabada, who ran 215 flat. 
And I don't know if he'd gotten his trials qualifier or not already, but that certainly gets him his A standard. And he finished 13th in this one. Brendan Martin or Martin, don't even know that name, ran 216.26 to get second American and 17th. And after that, I don't see any other American in the top 25. Kerbata at this point is a little bit of a journeyman. You know, he's kind of always hovering around that 213, 215 range. Hasn't really had a breakthrough beyond that. But, hey, first American in Berlin, that's something, right? Yeah, and shout-out to Jess Head, who seems to be the Fernando, who's waving the Fernando Cabada fan club wa- wa- uh, flag. She's one of our athletes at Team Rogue. Shout-out to Jess Head, because she basically threw that at me and said, hey, look, <laughs> it was a good result for Cabada. I don't know what, uh, you know, Cabada's not going to be in the conversation for making the Olympic team. But he's certainly got a great story, and it's great to see someone who has been at this for so long and continues to do the work and put themselves in good positions and run smart races, they can get it. But w- he's not somebody we're going to be discussing, in my opinion. We're not going to be discussing him as we go into the Olympic trials as someone who's going to chance to make the team. Um, I think while the Americans are still light years behind the East Africans when it comes to the marathon, we're still a long way away from being competitive. I think... Even when you look at Galen Rupp, who, in my opinion, is 2% better than the rest of the U.S. in the marathon at this point. And he's 5% behind Ily Kipchoge, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a good, it's a good result in Berlin against a talented field. But at the same time, it's, it's not, I'm not getting excited about it. No. Unfortunately. Let's talk about the women. Gladys Toronto. Wow. Got the win really impressively. I, wow. I kind of discounted her myself, so So did I. You know, so that's that's We won't we won't be doing we that, won't again. Be we doing that again. We probably sure. should not have done it and we won't be doing it again. Exactly. Right. But she broke the cross record two eighteen eleven to lead a trio of women in the two eighteens. First time ever. Three women have finished under two nineteen in a in a marathon. So absolutely solid results and you had Toronto get a PR to to run that course record Rudiaga also a PR to run her 218 and change just a little bit behind and then of course Debaba held on for third although Mary Katani was was on her heels hot and at one point I think even overtook her until the final you know it, until the final stretch where Debaba got her back to get into that third position so a really impressive and fun to watch kind of women's race it had the key players that we were talking about all in the top four, which is all you can ask for. What do you make of Torono's result? I mean, we kind of discounted her, but Wh- she came to play. When did Mary Catani get added to the field? I'm sorry. because we uh, I didn't mean Mary yeah, Catani. You sorry. know what I meant. Uh, Edna Kiplagat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. My, my, I got I confused there, there for a second. Edna Kiplagat uh, <laughs> battling for for third, got ended up fourth. But those were those were the four players. Yeah. Yes, I misspoke there. Sorry. So, I thought I thought I mean obviously, I mean I, I feel terrible about saying this because I was most impressed by Rudiaga. First of all, Th- that is we're looking at the future, right? That is the future of the marathon. I think Tiranesh Dababa is in trouble. This is uh, not a good sign for her. But I was pretty impressed with the way that she came back and fought, Chris. She had to do work to get away from Kiplagat at the end. And I thought that was an incredible fight for her. It was really good. It was really discouraging to see her result, but also, but encouraging to watch her fight for that result. 
But Rudy Haga, I mean, that is, like, that's, it's going to be an amazing 2020 Olympic Games on the women's side. We have so many players. I mean, all these women were within a minute of each other, and they were on the biggest stage, going blow for blow with each other. We were missing a few key players that we know that could be great. We're going to miss, you know, we, we now, on the women's side, we've got some Americans that now, I believe, you know, in my mind, if we'll talk about this in a second, but in my mind, um, it's conceivable to think of an Amy Craig, Amy Hastings Craig, and conceivable to think of a Jordan Hase in the mix with these women on a hotter weather day where they run 221 or 222. Um, it's just, we're on the men's side, it's all just the coronation of the great Ilya Kipchoge on the women's side. It's getting more, it's the opposite. It's getting more and more competitive, more and more difficult to pick who's going to win, and so much more of a foot race over the last 5K, Chris. I mean, it was, was a foot race yeah. at the end of the race uh, uh, with the grand doms of the sport going head-to-head, taking blows, and a new young up-and-comer almost winning this thing and almost pulling off the surprise win. So it was a great race, and it was one that I think people will look back on over the year, over the next um, year and a half as we prep for Tokyo 2020 and be looking at this and saying, wow, we're going to need to go back to that race and see how did that race play out, what lessons were learned from the four women that were in that mix, because they're all four going to be on the starting line almost assuredly at the Olympic Games, assuming that Kenya will take the people they should take because sometimes they don't. But Yeah. Yeah, really fun to watch that one. And, it, you know, it, in some ways it's it's too bad that it got some of its some of its impressiveness taken away from it because of Kipchoge's result and the focus there. We didn't get to really get the the eyeballs and the press coverage on an amazing women's race because of Kipchoge stealing the show certainly not Kipchoge's fault but and and you know understandable from a storyline perspective but yeah make no mistake this was an epic women's marathon and as you said they were going blow for blow Toronto really impressed me to come back I mean this was her also defending her title and so it seemed to me like that came into play where she 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 wanted it. <laughs> you know, she wanted to defend that title. It was like, this is mine. I'm taking it. I'm keeping it. You know, that was like, as I watched, I didn't get to see it live, but as I watched the replay and saw her kind of, you know, put away Aga at the end, it was like, <laughs> no, young buck. Like, this is no. mine. You are not taking That's it. That's exactly what you it know, looked like. That was, that, was the, like <laughs> that was the, that was the, the, the woman who knew, who was putting yeah. the young one away, saying, no, this is my result. I know what I'm going to get. This is mine, and yeah. I'm going to take it. You're going to have to fucking take it from me. And she could not. Yeah. She could not wrestle it not. from her. And so, and you know, the next time Aga goes up against that, she'll have, she'll have seen that. She'll be like, all right, let's do Good it. Luck. Let's Good go. luck. <laughs> so anyway, so to see that kind of play out was interesting. And as you said, the way DeBabo kind of fought, obviously it wasn't her day, but to come back from the DNF in London and hold on to that podium spot, even though it wasn't her best day, I think was impressive as well. You know, you add Mary Katani to this mix in the Olympics. You add, you know, who I mistakenly mentioned before. You add some of the Americans, Jordan Assay, Amy Hastings-Cragg, Shalane potentially. And things start to get really interesting for the women. And a number of other women we're not talking about yet who will show up but i do think that that's what's so interesting is how um i mean this just shows how different how much better Ilya kipchoge is than everybody in the rest of the world as well because there's no one that we can even discuss that can be within a minute and a half of him 
Whereas as we're looking at this group of women, we're like, there's, there's just inches separating them and there's more of them, you know? Yep. So, um, it does just, again, and it's, Again, it, it is. I think we will go back and we will look at this race as one of the great women's marathons of the last ten years. But we witnessed the greatest, one of the greatest feats of human performance in the world uh, the world has ever seen. So it's just going to get a little bit of short shrift, unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> we also have to give a shout out to the Japanese runner I mentioned in our preview, who got fifth, Mizuki Matsuda, in two twenty two. Solid result from her, and while I don't think she's in the same category as those other four ladies, she came to play as well. On the American women's side, <laughs> I hesitate to even ask this question, Steve. Oh, don't get Don me Grunhagel, 15th overall to run a 234 at the age of, I believe, 38. What? <laughs> I'm not talking about this. Okay. I'm leaving this no one alone. Comments. Because no I comments. what I know could incriminate me and what I what incriminates me um, could hurt our podcast. So, okay. so let's no, just say that no comments. congratulations, Dawn. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. Emma Spencer right behind there in sixteenth for the two thirty seven. Caitlin Phillips, two thirty seven as well in nineteenth. Those are those other two names aren't ones I know well, but you gotta be excited for them both to get the A standard in Berlin and top 20 results. Uh, but yes, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, okay, so now we got to shift gears to other results from that weekend. There were some really lightning fast half marathon results that same weekend that got overshadowed by Kipchoge's result as well. Sifan Hassan came back from running the 3K and the 1,500 meters at the Diamond League Finals to win a half marathon in 105, I believe, third fastest, fourth fastest result of all time. That's insane, Steve. I mean, you know, obviously Kipchoge's amazing, but to see that kind of range in such a short turnaround from Hassan is really, really impressive, almost unbelievable what do you make of Hassan's half result? Chris, this is what I've been saying forever. Th this is why no matter, it's going to take Alberto Zalazar getting just burned for obviously producing and creating and pushing dope on his athletes for me to not say that Alberto Zalazar is one of the great coaches in the world. Because he knows what he's fucking doing. But what he's doing is exactly what we talk about on this podcast all the time. Half marathon training creates unbelievable aerobic monsters. And these athletes, them getting out, you're watching the fast, you're watching one of the top five, Chris, she's top five in the world currently, Myler. Yep. I mean, top three probably. Right, but it, it there are, you know, She's the second best 5,000-meter runner in the world and should be the number one 5,000-meter runner in the world, except that she just happens to be going up against a woman who knows how to fucking race. You want to talk about a Kipchoge-type character, that's Helen O'Beary. Helen O'Beary knows how to find a finish line and knows how to win. Sifan Hassan is still just an aerobic monster, but she's not a good strategian. She doesn't know how to race correctly. She doesn't know what she's doing in a 5,000. She's still figuring that race out. And she's a freaking bumbling, stumbling bag of bones. I mean, she's got no neuromuscular, she's got no muscularity. She makes Jordan Hase look like a, like a bodybuilder. You know, this, 
but let me go back to the main point. Alberto Zalazar knows what he's doing. This woman and Kajelka, both coached by him, they can step out and run a half marathon at any point in time. I used to tell, I had 800-meter runners I coached at the at, at all the time who if they went out and ran a half marathon, they would have been competitive in a half marathon. Why? Because this is the kind of work that has to be done. You just don't see this happen very often. But what you're watching with Alberto is him making sure that those women, that, that she, both those two athletes of his recognize that he has got them among the best in the world at any distance they want to run, from the 15 to the, mar- to the half marathon. Now, they can't translate to the marathon, and Alberto knows that. But the half, that's why the half marathon is a cheater race. That's why the half marathon is like not a real race. Because peop- that's why people... People in the United States should absolutely not be getting Olympic trials qualifying standards based on running a half marathon because a really well-talented half 5K, 10K runner who's training appropriately should be able to run a half marathon really fast. And so I'm not surprised by it. It doesn't surprise me because I know what Alberto is doing with those athletes and I know how fucking talented they are. It doesn't surprise me um, at all, honestly. I think that that's not... It, it's how fast they are is a little surprising, but I don't think the thing about what he's got, at least with Sifan Hassan, he's got a dumb athlete. Like he's got an athlete who he has fun coaching. We listened to that interview that he gave about her. He enjoys having philosophical and training conversations with her. They have a rapport that's positive. She obviously buys into what his system is and she's dumb and does what she, what he asks and doesn't, and probably has an agent who says, shut the fuck up and do what your coach says. And listen, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with. She is going I don't know. It's going to take Ayana coming out of whatever chamber she's in, um, whatever time capsule she's in currently, to race with Hassan over the 5K and 10K. Helen O'Beary is in a bit of trouble as as Hassan learns the race, the 5,000 more and more. And O'Beary is not going to be able to run with Sifan Hassan over 10,000 meters because Sifan Hassan is built the way a 10,000-meter runner should be built. And absolutely not. You are seeing... A better Mo Farah in, C- in Sifan Hassan on the women's side. She is going to be able to run. If you think about what Mo Farah did, he was able to run four, 329 for 1,500 meters, right? That's world class. That At that time, that put him in the top five in the world in the 1,500. But that wasn't his focus. Sifan Hassan is a, basically a better 1,500-meter runner than Mo Farah is, has proven it can do it time and time again, and has her medals there. I mean, it's, it is watch-out world. Only Helen O'Beary has a chance at Sifan Hassan over the 5K and 10K distance, and you just got served papers. The rest of the world just got served. <laughs> she is going to be there. Kajelka, I'm sorry, but this jury's still out. He he did It did take a no-name app. Now, that's the dude we need to be thinking about, the dude who just beat Kajelka in that race. Holy shit. That Dan, men's Daniel race. Kipchamba. Oh, my God. That that race is... Let's that not race go was, there yet. I okay. want to finish the women's conversation. Anyway, that's my take. That's my <laughs> my hot take. I, I am not surprised, but I am saying, world, watch out. This is this is how you do it. And, and, and Alberto Zalazar is giving a fucking clinic to the rest of the world. When he gets the best athletes in the world, the basic standard philosophy of training that is press the edges to all your energy systems, always press the edges, hard, long runs. It's the stuff we preach here, Chris, week in, week out. It's what we talk about. Alberto does. He doesn't have, he does have hyperbaric chambers and altitude rooms and the best in, 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 in strength training facilities and all those other things. But those athletes are doing the same shit that our podcast training athletes are doing on a day-to-day basis, week in, week out. I'm sorry. That's what they're doing. And, (laughs) 
and it makes me feel good about my sport. Regardless of how you feel about Alberto, it makes me feel good to know that still if you do the basics, if you do the hard work, if you do the kind of work that needs to be done, you will get fitter and you will get faster. And that's what Alberto's doing with Sifan Hassan and Kajelka. And especially with Hassan, it's going to be a fun thing to watch over the coming years. That it is. I also remind people, and maybe you don't know this, but Kara Goucher had her debut half under Salazar, which is sort of a, a random thing at the Great North Run that they threw into her season after running some fast 5Ks and 10Ks on the track. And she ran a 66 and change. One of the fastest U.S. half marathon records ever off of shorter distance training with Salazar. This is how you do it. This is what we do, Chris. Get out and race the half marathon. <laughs> I think the more impressive thing for me with Hassan with this was the result. Obviously impressive time. But Salazar, her coach came in saying he thought she might run 69 or 70. I don't know if he was just softballing the field or what. But she went with the leaders and then won the thing 105. So her coach underestimated her a little bit she threw caution to the wind which showed a fearlessness that i think as you said the rest of the world has served papers that hey she's here to play especially as it relates to moving up in distance which because we know at some point salazar is going to get her on the starting line of a marathon and it's going to be interesting only ayana can beat hassan at the ten thousand meters right now and that and if she can because we don't know where the hell she is because <laughs> Helen O'Berry can't because Helen O'Berry can't go 10,000 meters she's too strong and the way that she's built it's unfortunate but the way that you run a 5,000 is different from the way you run a 10 you can't have the same somatotype and you look at what happens with, with it, you just look at the Dababas they the Dababas were able to pull it off because they're kind of a mix you know what I mean they're like that they're able to run the fit they're just the, the Dababas are freaks the way that their bodies are built but the rest of them you look at them they look like they look like Ayana and and they look like Sifan Hassan. They're just long and lean, and they have very little body fat on their bodies because, and they're just born that way. They didn't, they're not made that way. They're born that way. That's what a ten thousand meter has to be, which is why I love the five k so much because you get to see this some of the strong speedsters of the five k of the fifteen hundred move up in distance, and some of the ten kers come down in distance. And I mean, look at Mo Farah, who was the most dominant five thousand, ten thousand meter runner in the world for basically. Eight, seven, eight years, and he and Hassan look the same somatotype. They're built the same way. Really impressive. So that caps a year for Hassan where she ran. Unbelievable. 159, 800, 414 mile, 827, 3K, 14, of the year. And then a 65, 15 half. And Absolutely she got beat. unbelievable. And unfortunately, she got beaten both of her world champ and both of her major level races this year. But this is putting her in a place, Chris, like – what are they going to do? Alberto is just doing backflips right now. He's so, he's so happy. I, he's just so happy. Um, anyway. So flip, flipping quickly to the men's race. Won by Daniel Kipchumba in 5906. Yama Kachalka, who we talked about again in the Diamond League Finals for the 5K, got fourth in his half debut, 5917. Really impressive result. Kind of stole, stole uh, the show was stolen by his countrymen, Kipchamaga and Kiptum, who finished in 5906 and 5909. But there you go. It shows that Salazar has people on both sides of the house, men and women, running fast at all levels. So there you go. Maybe Kajelka is the one we need to watch, worry about for the for the marathon for Kipchoge. 
it could be. I don't think he'll get there <laughs> soon enough. And he tried to take the pants off Borrega, so I'm not really very his countryman. So I'm still the jury's still out on Kajelka in terms What's of what's going on in his head. I yeah. don't know. He's not. He's not. He's. I don't know that Kajelka's a dumb athlete. That's the problem for Salazar. I think. I think he's got the somatotype he's looking for. He probably's got a body. He's probably got all the tests done. He's running all the numbers. But I don't know that Kajelka's got it. I don't know that he's got it because Borrego knows how to put him away. Borrego freaking destroyed him. <laughs> Just destroyed him. Yeah. Borrego's the main man because Borrego's got what he's got what Obiri has, Chris. Here's the uncoachable. <laughs> the thing that Hassan is going to have to be this is how and Hassan doesn't have it either. But Hassan is such a talent that she'll be able to run away from people the way Ayana did. But the men's races aren't going to be that way. You're going to have to be able to run people off your wheel, and you're going to have to have the kind of attitude that Amo Farah had. And the kind of in the men's race is not going to happen. And Kajelka doesn't have that. Borrega is got his number. I, I don't I, the way that Borrega won that race. I don't know how anybody's showing up at the 5,000 meters. And when is Borrega? What's Borrega going to do with the 10? You know, it creates a lot of other interesting questions there. But but we do have. We did, um, Chris. Also, have uh, we did we we do have in these new Kenyans that are running how fast they're running for the the way that they ran that five thousand that 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 mar that half marathon at Amsterdam. Those those guys there that were able to run that low of a fifty nine and that many guys like it's on people like it's it the the next greats low down down in distance and above distance are on their way up. It's just they're not going to get Kipchoge, but they're coming. And I think what we're going to start seeing is four and five athletes running in the 202, the 202 high range, 203 low range in a race. And then that's how we see the world record go down. But it's going to be three, five years from now before we see it. But these are the young bucks coming up that are going to be showing us where and how and why and how that manage, how that all gets played out. And, you know, Chris, we haven't even talked about the one dude who finally showed back up that we haven't, haven't seen in a long time, which is Joshua Chiptangi, who's back in the mix of things. He, I guess he was hurt all last year. He's the guy I think is uh, the most interesting move up to the marathon potential because of his fearlessness and the way that he runs. He reminds me of a, of a wild-ass version of a Kipchoge. He's got all the skill set. He's so mentally tough. But um, Joshua Kipchoge just ran a 10-miler a ten recently, Blew the field away and ran 45-0, and um, he's back. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Chris, it's exciting times to see as they go. Everybody goes into their off season for track and field and into their base training phases. Um, we had a lot of interesting things play out, and as we get to go into marathon mode and see what happens and what plays out in the big looming marathons that are coming up now that Berlin has set this world on fire. Yeah. Chepchegi, of course, being the Ugandan athlete who finished second in the World 10,000. But last, has been off the, it was year, off the playing field. Yeah, he's yeah. been out, off the radar, but yeah. He's he was also second at, he's fearless. He was also third or fourth at Worlds in the 5,000 off of a crazy race. And anyway, he he's, he's he, fearless. He's back. It'll be interesting yes. to see whether he stays on the track. Or but look or at him. He's up. running an unbelievably fast 10-miler. You know, and he's a 5K, 10K guy. So it's it's the way you train yep. people. So last thing before we switch to our little quick topic, we had some DNA, uh, some dropouts, DNSs for Chicago. Unfortunately, kind of takes some of the fun out of Chicago and certainly 
some of the drama on the American side for the w- American women. Jordan Hesay has dropped out of the race because of another stress fracture in her foot. And this week we just learned that Amy Hastings Craig is also now out, although we haven't gotten a really specific answer on why she's out of the field. So now our top Americans theoretically are Gwen Jorgensen and Laura Thweet, who won't be competing <laughs> for the American record and going out with the best of the best. At least we don't think so. So it's this. It's sad. It makes me sad. You know, it shows you though how important just getting to a start line healthy is. Yeah, it's sad, but. It's sad because as fans, we won't get to see what we want to see. But it's not sad from their career standpoint. It's just a blip. Um, You know, we have this going on in our podcast training group right now, Chris. We've got a few people who are at a crucial decision-making process where they're at. And I think this will slide really well into our next topic. Um, There's that we've got some athletes who are getting ready for California International Marathon who are banged up and they're looking ahead and they're looking at these incredibly difficult workouts that we have showing up for them. And this is the time of the year, Chris, as we're going to talk about where the hard work has to be done. If you're running a fall marathon, you're either finishing that process up or hitting your main big ones coming up in the next no month, you know, three to six weeks. Or if you're doing a late win early winter marathon, then you're um, getting gearing up and getting ready to hit those big, big, hard, long run efforts. And you're banged up and you're dinged up and you're hurt but you think you might be able to get back, what do you do? You do what Amy Hastings Craig is doing right here. And she tried, right? She didn't bail out of the race, and so did Jordan. People said, if you read the message boards, people are saying that Jordan knew that this was going to take place six weeks ago. Well, yeah, they did. But they decided to wait to the minute, to the last minute when they had to make a decision. But they have, you have to make a decision at some point in time about whether you're going to go for it or you're not going to go for it. And not going for it when you're hurt is the smartest thing. Um, each case is different and I don't want to say it blanket for everybody, but this is definitely the best thing for these two athletes for sh- And Amy Hastings Craig is the one you could argue about, but you don't, you don't go into a race where you think you could win it. If you're not going to win it, you just don't do it. You just take the time, pick another race. Maybe she can get back by the time we get to New York, or maybe she picks another race. She comes out and she runs Houston, or maybe she runs CIM, or maybe she chooses another international race. That's of the same caliber. You, you wait, and the marathon is so hard and so difficult, and you only have so many great ones in you that you, you bow out, you live to fight another day, and you race. The, you, you get yourself ready for the command performance. This is about command performances and about winning. It's not about um, getting your payday. And these, the, what I love to see with two of our very best, in the, very best in the U.S., who are also the best in the world, they and their coaches understand that, and they live that. They let them line up, and they let them fight. Go to in to fight another day because the, the stakes are way too high now for these two athletes. They're the be, they're among the best in the world, Chris. Um, now, unfortunately, Absolutely. you and I are not going to have our argument about who would win between the two of them. We'll have to save that one for another day. Yeah. It got heated up in this podcast <laughs> booth right before Chris left. We were we almost we were almost coming to blows over <laughs> who was going to win, and I'll leave that for another day. But yes. anyway, we won't get to see that. They won't get to see that. So that's the sad part. Do you think this says anything about Hase and her ability to stay healthy long term in the marathon game? No, hard training, hard. Th- it, it says that she was going. She's trying to be the best in the world. That's what it says to me. That's what it says to me. 
Yeah, and she well, she wanted the American record. And if you're gonna go after Dina Casper's American record, get into the two nineteens. You have to train hard. You have to be training on that razor's edge, and and sometimes you fall over. People, injury is not the end of the world. It is an illuminating. It's a way to look at what's going on for the rest and the rest of your running. And so they now found another weak spot in her in her physique and her body it's either in her mechanics or it's in her strength training or it's in something else or did they press the load too hard now they know and they can back off of that place see the other thing that alberto knows about training as well is that he's not always going into the red line they do a lot of sub-maximal work chris they do a lot of work that they would be not in the lactic zone right and so because the body can take a lot more load when you're not in the lactic zone sometimes it's hard to figure out what it can handle they're also running her at a at a at a body weight line that is on the edge of what we know women can manage and handle. You know what I mean? To me, it's what makes Joni Joan Benoit's two twenty two so amazing because she was not running with the same somatotype, the same body fat zone that Jordan Hesse is. Jordan Hesse has every single physiological, technological, and pharmacological that opportunity that is legal right i'm not going to go into whether she's got illegal or not illegal but she's certainly on the edge of what is legal and so she's going to be running in a space that 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 many very few people have ever seen um and so there's chances there's risks there's these things are happening all over every these things happen to people all the time and it's a normal part of training it's not the end of the world it sucks but don't worry She'll be standing on the starting line at the Olympic Games in 2020, and she will be president correct, ready to try to win an Olympic medal, as will Amy Hastings Craig, and I can't wait to see the two of them up there going after it. And whenever we see them next, we see them next. What's sad is that we don't get to see them go blow for blow. We don't get to see them go against the best in the world. But, hey, they weren't going against the very best in the world because the four of those ladies just ran at Berlin. But they were going to go against some really stiff competition. So, Yeah, I mean, and at least... This is now and not two years from now when it matters in Tokyo. So we wish Jordan and Amy the best in terms of getting ready because we want to see them on starting lines going head-to-head again as soon as possible. We will still preview Chicago in all of its glory. The men's race is still on. Well, there's a lot still on in Chicago, so we will still preview that. And we haven't heard – and, and, you know, all that worry about – about Galen, they would have made the call now for him. So uh, he's he seems like he's ready yeah, to go. Yeah, he'll be okay. I mean, he, he backed out of that half, but I think that was more a precautionary move. Let's talk about our topic really quick. I don't know how long we'll spend on this, but we wanted to give you guys some thoughts. Those racing fall marathons, any fall halves, give you guys some thoughts on some kind of some final physical and mental tips as you prepare for your races in the next several weeks we've got chicago coming up we've got st george coming up in early october twin cities we've got marine corps in october new york of course early november philadelphia i mean so many different races coming up over the next six to eight weeks and we want to make sure that you have your head on straight and are ready to rock and roll let's i want to start with this steve and then we can kind of volleyball here in terms of just tips to throw out to those that are in those positions of getting ready to race i had a lot of conversation today with my athletes in this boat of doubt 
<laughs> like I had a lot of doubt coming at me. Part of that's because I was out of town and they didn't get, you know, not everybody got to kind of get all of that out with me last week. But I had doubt coming at me in a couple different ways with people that are racing in this time period. One example of that was somebody who said, hey, look, my last long run with pace work, which we did. This is somebody doing Chicago, which we did 10 days ago. Didn't go well. You know, the last segment. I'm supposed to hit pace, marathon pace, or and then move down and progress to faster than uh, marathon pace. Didn't go well. I didn't, I, I didn't hit it. I fell apart. Had a bad day. And so she was asking me, "What do I make with make of that? You know, do I adjust anything or think about the race differently?" And you know, and then I had somebody else who's been having little issues in terms of. You know, not any injury that is taking her out of the game, but is definitely, you know, bothering her and is kind of a thorn in her side. And so my message to both of them first was simply that if you're in marathon training, it's hard, especially late in the game when you're on that razor's edge trying to get the most that you can out of a given cycle it's hard and not everything goes perfectly and it shouldn't you don't want it to as a coach i told her today i said look i don't actually care whether that last pace work long run goes perfectly or it's a shit show like i don't as a coach actually care what matters is did you get the work in and did you learn something from that result and so i was trying to encourage them both that no matter what you face in the final few weeks of your training cycle, if you've had some things that are doubt inducing, that's okay because that's what marathon training is all about. Like you're trying to ride that razor's edge. You're trying to test yourself. You're trying to learn both physically and mentally how to get the most out of your body. And if you aren't thrown curveballs and tests in whatever workouts or little injuries you have to work through, then you're not actually pressing the edge enough. And yeah, individually, there's always little things to talk to athletes about if things don't go well consistently over the final phase. But this was one workout from one person. And I said, look, this doesn't change your game plan for Chicago. And she has a big goal there. And for the person who's been struggling with injury, I said, this doesn't change your game plan either. Obviously, in the taper, we have to manage that a little bit, maybe modify what she's going to be doing to make sure she gets fully healthy on the start line, but she's done all the work in spite of dealing with this thorn in her side. So I just wanted to encourage those out there who may have doubts because a workout went bad or because they've been managing something that's been sort of frustrating throughout a training cycle. Keep your head in the game. Don't let those doubts overwhelm you. Focus on the positives that have come out of your training cycle, the workouts that have gone well, the work you've done, the global body of things you've put into training, and go out there with all confidence and get it done. You have to. You have no other choice if you're going to have a big result. So that's one thing for me, Steve. Yeah, I had this topic come up with an athlete who's racing a half um, in November on our podcast training group, and I probably over responded um <laughs> no i gave her seven different things to oh look my at gosh. but i did it because i was 
in a moment where I thought, you know, here's an opportunity to educate people a little bit on the things that you might do when you, um, when you struggle, right? When you, when you have struggles, where do you, where do you reach first? And I think we'll probably save that topic for an entire podcast because I know we can, we can hit all seven of those. But the f- most, but the most important thing that I would say to the athlete that you were talking about and referencing, Chris, is first of all, we're in Central Texas, and we really haven't had our weather shift yet. Like we're on the cusp of having that weather shift, and so much of what happens in our work and our in our workload, and the way we look at it is is this resilience that we have both physiologically and psychologically to weather conditions. We like to say here weather is because there's nothing you can do about it, but it doesn't mean that it, but I didn't say weather isn't, right? You can't deny it. You can't change it, but it is what it is. And so a lot of what people are feeling right now at the end of September in our neck of the woods is that they just didn't get. This is why we are always hesitant to suggest people run Chicago and to run that late that late September marathon, that early October marathon. They're hard Chris, they're frankly hard to get ready for in the South or or really any part of the country now that we've got so much inclement weather and difficult weather conditions. So some of what your athlete is probably dealing with is just, you know, a shit day, right? So don't, don't lose it there and don't lose confidence because yeah, the timing was inappropriate, but what Chris, but, but it's likely that some of that was weather. And also you got to listen to what, what Chris just said. You got to pay it, got to believe and trust your training and, I think that that's the most important thing that I would I would say with this is just just shut up and run. And and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to the person. It's more like trust us. Trust us. It it it's going to all come out in the end because you did all the work that you can possibly do. So take a deep breath, trust in your training and know that when you get on the starting line, you're going to have the tools you need to take a really good hard stab at the goal that you wanted to run. And you didn't need to see it dialed in just perfectly right up. And as you said, Chris, I mean, having a bad race right before a race, having a bad workout right before a race really helps you test your resiliency and work on that psychological toughness because you now know that you're going to have to fight for the thing that you want. And when people have a nail their last workout before a marathon, it always makes me really nervous. Me too. That's why I'm ambivalent. Because I'm like, you know what? It, it, this is that could be worse because are you ready to fight when the when the, when the fight has to come because the fight's coming to you in a marathon it's coming to you no matter what you, you just need to be ready for it yeah now fortunately for me this athlete is strong and tough and after my little pep talk I said you are not <laughs> changing your game plan are you and she's like that is not in my disposition <laughs> that's <laughs> that was good. her response that's good so she's ready but but you're right and you know my last marathon PR came after my final, personally, came after my final race prep was a mess. And we all know, because <laughs> I talked about it very openly <laughs> in my prep for Houston last year, I got my teeth kicked in at least once, probably a couple times. So if you, I worry more if you've had a perfect cycle than if you have had some adversity. And so I just want to encourage those who've had some adversity to use that as something that is strength building and still show up on race day and go after it. Now, to do that, Steve, you also have to remember why you're doing it, right? 
like this is also a time that I encourage people not to go down the rabbit hole of like redefining your purpose, like we've talked about many times in this podcast. But and so you don't want to do that. You don't want to have a big existential crisis two weeks out from your marathon. But I do think it's important if you've done any thinking on purpose or why you might be chasing a, a result to use this as an opportunity as you enter the taper to reflect on the why so that you show up on race day and you know why you're there and not just because you're there to run a time, but you're there to run a certain time for a reason. And while I don't want athletes opening up Pandora's box of redefining their purpose, I do think it's an important time as a reminder to reflect on why you started this season, uh, this cycle, this goal, this race in the first place. And so, so that's another reminder that I throw to my athletes at this time of year as we start getting ready for the big day. And I know you do the same. Yeah, I mean, it's natural and normal as I like to think about it from a war analogy sometimes. There's a reason why generals don't have any problem when all their infantrymen and cavalry men or whatever don't do cavalry anymore do they it's mostly infantry probably don't even do infantry we just drop bombs from the sky but anyway <laughs> um there's a reason why they would let them go to the go out and have drinks a couple days before and let them think something different about the fact that they were going to throw themselves into the iron jaws of death because it's hard to put yourself on the line knowingly when you may or may not have had an op- an, an optimal run-up to a race um and you're not special for your fear and loathing and you're not special for wanting it to go away and that means that you're not special in the sense of you're not any different but you're also just like everybody else so when you stand on that starting line at your race everybody else is going to be peeing down the side of their leg too um and they all were peeing down the side of their leg in the weeks that and months that approach the race itself that's what makes the marathon or the half marathon or a, or a command performance race what it really is it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be difficult. It's what you've been training for. And you need to remember that it's what you asked for. And I think sometimes, Chris, this is the thing that psychologically um, incapacitates so many people. They just start thinking about, why do I have to do this? You know? And I like to tell them, you don't have to... St- you don't have to even get on the plane if you're going to in a way. You don't have to get on the starting line. You don't have to run the first mile. You can bail at any point in time. No one's making you do it. You know, you you should ask yourself whether or not you should be in listening to our podcast if that's the way that you are because we're probably going to denigrate that kind of attitude and not lift it up. But you are choosing this. This is an option for you. You don't have to. And... I think a lot of times when I've said that to people, like uh, there have been times with my elite athletes where I actually literally said, okay, we're not running this race. Maybe an hour and a half, two hours beforehand. And just said, okay, you know what? Your foot does hurt you. They come up with something. I have a foot hurt. Blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, we're not racing. We're going to go. Let's get back in the car. Let's get out of here. You don't, you want to know how fast they get back on that starting line? They do. They want to race when you take it away from them. And so you might do that for yourself. Just ask yourself that. Like, you can't obviously trick yourself that same way the way I can trick people that you you really just look in and I don't you know it doesn't as Chris said it doesn't have to be this existential drama it can just be it's just a race and you asked for it you trained for it and you want it so go out there and get it and if you frame it that way 
I think it'd be very helpful as you go into these last key workouts for those people who are racing in, you know, mid-October, late, early November. This is the time where you want to be dealing with those demons because you don't really want to be asking yourself that in the two weeks prior because it makes it much harder. The other thing I want to submit to those who may be thinking, well, I don't, I didn't go through that process. I didn't have this big purpose exercise at the beginning of this, and I was really just signing up to hit a certain goal, and all of your existential bullshit that you and Steve talk about, it doesn't connect for me. <laughs> and that's okay, but I want to put one thing out there that I'm reminded of as we get emails now fairly regularly, maybe once a week, once every other week from people that said, hey, I listened to your podcast. I learned some things. I got a big result because of it. Thank you. And as we've built our podcast training group, you know, to over 100 athletes now to have that group connecting with each other and rooting each other on starting at Berlin a couple of weeks ago. And and as races have kind of come along, we're seeing more of that encouragement happening across that group. I want to remind people that if you're listening to our voices, you're part of a bigger community of athletes that is striving for something big that says, hey, I'm not comfortable with the status quo. I'm not comfortable with sitting on the sideline. I want to put myself in the fire. I want to challenge myself, test myself and see what I can make if I work hard and put everything out there. And so there may be people that are listening that are faceless and nameless to you now but that are on the same pursuit they're on the same journey what it looks like might be different what their time goal might be different but they're going to be on the starting line with you at chicago at twin cities at new york they're going to be on the starting line with you and you may not know who exactly they are but they're going to be on the line with you and they're you guys are and you're going to be striving for something together and so to me this idea of connecting to that universe of people that are on this path to be better through this sport is really powerful. And that's something I've been reflecting a lot recently for me personally as a cause that's bigger than even the ones I see around me physically here in Austin. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you have nothing else to reflect on that, that you're doing this as a part of a bigger collective of people connected by those who listen to us, but also by those who don't listen to us who are on the same journey. And that's a big deal. It's a powerful thing to tap into if you let it. And if you're at this point and you're running a half marathon or a marathon, you're not normal. (laughs) No. You're not fucking normal. You are way on the edge of what is. As much as marathoning has now become normal, if you're listening to our podcast on a consistent basis, even if you're not using our mental turning techniques or thinking about the bigger picture, you still care about your result, and that means that you're doing work, and you're probably, if you're running 35, 40, 45 miles a week, you are rare, extremely rare, and um, recognize that while you may feel alone, you are not alone, as Chris has said. You are a part of a much bigger collective and a much bigger community, and we celebrate you, and we celebrate that you're on this journey, and whether your result is what you want or whether result, your result is not what you want, you're in control of some of those pieces. You're not in control of all of them. Celebrate the journey. Think about the process. The results do matter, but only as they reflect a process that is enjoyable, um, challenging, and frankly, Chris, in my opinion, life-changing. So um, good on you. Hell yeah. All right, so those are some of the mental things to gear up for our 
I would also highly encourage on that note visualization exercises. I've talked about it on here before, but visualize your race start to finish. Think about all the five senses when you do that. Play this thing out in your mind before you go do it. It will help you feel like you've been there when it matters. Let's talk about some of the practical things, Steve. I wanted to put a reminder out there to dial in a race strategy for yourself. Spend some time thinking about how this race should play out from mile to mile. I want to point you to episode 46 where we talk about race strategy from 5K to marathon. We also have another one, 50, 56, so 46 and 56. 56, we talk about... We have an early one too, Chris, don't we? Like five or something? Five was... Horse. Marathon race planning as well. Yeah. So yes, congrats on yep. nailing that. I I I, I answered so this in a podcast. Yeah. So we have various ones out there talking about race strategy. It is so critical, especially for the marathon. And there's some counterintuitive principles in there as it relates to how you should prepare for these races. But it's so important to dial in a plan and to believe in that plan and then to go execute that plan. Now, of course. Once, once the re- the gun goes off, and as your favorite quote says, Steve from Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until <laughs> they get punched <laughs> in the mouth. Which, you know, at some point in the marathon, you're going to get punched in the mouth, and your plan may go out the window. That's irrelevant. But the point is, having a plan and executing that plan mile by mile as best as you can is something that you can lean on. It's a part of the controllables. There's so much in the marathon, whether it relates to weather, course conditions, what other people are doing around you, et cetera, that you can't control. But you can control how you execute your race. And so I highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 46, especially, but also 5 and 56 to get some examples of how to run a good, smart race where you're doing a half or a full because it will make a difference for sure. No doubt. <laughs> I don't really have anything <laughs> else to say about that. Steve I mean, has nothing to add. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what is there? We just <laughs> spent probably likely those episodes are at least one on the topic somewhere in the vicinity of an hour long each. So there's three hours of information there, and um, I, you know, I, I think as we, the thing that I think is really really important for folks is to write this write this stuff out. You need a, a Chris mentioned it real quickly. He said mile by mile, and it doesn't have to be mile by mile. Different people, I had an athlete that would do 400 by 400 splits in his race. Wow. Um, And it worked for him. It didn't work forever, but it worked for a limited window of time, and we used it. Most most of my athletes, I suggest that they break the race up into um, 5K chunks or 5-mile chunks. In some cases, like Boston, Chris, we've talked about this specifically. We break the race up into sections that the race has that are important, but you need to have a story, a through line, a journey that you're going to be running in this race. And you need to know how that's, you plan for that to play out and what your key, what the key times and or, or feelings that you want to have or expectations you have as you go through that. And you're not going to be able to do that if you don't write it down. And so I really do encourage our listeners to take the time, listen to those episodes, get in front of a computer, look at the, look at the elevation chart, um, and... It, it make a plan because not planning is a guarantee that you're going to fuck it up. 
almost assuredly, the marathon is too hard to get right if you don't. If you're going to err and you're not going to make a plan, then go out really slow. Easy run pace. But other than that, that's not a race plan, Chris. That's not a strategy. That's just a, let me just, let me just wing it, right? And you don't want to do that. You want to take the time. And I really think it's important to get it out of pencil, pencil and paper. Or for those of you who are more on the computer, write it down, have a written format that you can look at in the hour, in the, in the week's, hour, days, hours, minutes approaching the race to be sure that you've got at least a script for this because it's so much easier to execute what you want to execute if you have a plan in mind. It is an, it's, a, it's a minor version. It's another version of visualizing and seeing your way through the race. So um, that's the one thing I would add to this, Chris, is just to be sure that people write that down and they have a written format so they know what their plan is and they're not winging it. Yes, and I encourage you to extend that not just to your mile-by-mile mile plan or some people do 5K-by-5K plans. Extend it to your nutrition plan for the race. When are you going to take your gels? When are you going to take your blocks? Well, how are you going to handle the water stops? Write that stuff down and then execute it no matter what happens. We've talked about it before in this podcast. One of the biggest mistakes people can make, even veterans, is skipping nutrition, skipping a water stop, not doing what they're supposed to do, letting the controllables get away from them. But if you write it down, you commit it to memory, write it on your arm, whatever it takes to actually execute on it as a reminder for you, that's going to eliminate areas of risk and give you a better chance of getting your goal. So when I have one-on-ones, we talk about my by mile plan, we talk about nutrition plan, dial that in sort of water stop by water stop and when they're going to take gels and so forth. And then we'll also talk about the mental plan. And, you know, we've talked about the more general mental elements kind of at the beginning of this discussion, but, but the specific mental elements of what are the tools you're going to use at the time that it matters. We talk often about mantras on this podcast. I, I don't think I personally would ever walk into a marathon without a mantra or two. And so make sure you dial in on those mantras. We talk, we've talked about it in different ways, Steve. Chris, they're going to show up anyway. So you might as well plan for it because they're coming in most yeah, often. They're, they're not They're good. negative <laughs> mantras. Yeah, exactly. and you want the positive mantras. And I, you know, I kind of divide it as a coach into rhythm mantras and fight mantras. So those mantras you're going to use early in the race to find a rhythm, to dial into your to dial into a relaxed pace and then fight mantras for when the shit hits the fan and it's time to really grit and bear it at the end of the race. I know you talk about it in different ways. We've talked about that before on this podcast, but either way, have a word phrase or multiple words and phrases that you're going to tap into in order to fight through when the going gets tough because it's an amazing tool and why wouldn't you bring all tools to bear? Right? I mean, I we've agree. seen it as a coach, as coaches many, many times. If, and, and look, you know, sometimes people come up with new mantras in the race. That's happened to me. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, then use that. But whatever it is, do your homework. Be prepared. Get as prepared as you can. I don't trust two, three, four, five hours of my mental escape just going through without a plan. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Just thinking, think about what you do for two, three, four hours and how positive are you? Unless you're the most, world's most positive person, some bad things are coming through, right? <laughs> and as you suffer, even more bad things are coming through and you need a way 
to hijack that in the positive way, to turn them. I like to say this, Chris, so frequently. I love to say this in my one-on-ones with my athletes is that we're, we're not trying to create any new thought. What we're trying to do is to take the bad thoughts and not allow them to, to start. Bad thoughts always move down like a, down a toilet bowl, right? They're like slowly funneling, going downward in a funnel. And what we're trying to do with the mental, with those mantras is catch them as they start and replace them with other ones so that we don't go down that downward spiral. We keep it, if we can't get positive, and we can get positive, believe me, if you stop negatives and keep them at, they'll, you can turn it and make it go back up that spiral into a positive. But when you go down the negative and you don't break that cycle by changing it with some other words, then you're going to go down that negative no matter what. You're going to have to go all the way to the bottom of that hole, and it's going to be a deep, deep, dark hole. And it's a long time to be thinking (laughs) in a deep, dark hole. And so use these mantras or use anything that you can to try to think. It's even just smiling at your aid station helpers. Or there's so many things that you can do to stop that spiral from being so negative and, and to play too greatly into your race result when you'll look at it later and say, gosh, I could have saved five minutes if I didn't go down into that terrible mental, very good, very bad mental place. Yes. And so do your homework. And, you know, and, and for some people, as it relates to writing things down, you know, I've seen some people write those, those Uber planners in the world, write everything down to the extent of writing down what they're going to have for breakfast the day before, writing down what they're going to have for dinner the night before, And so for those type A planners that want to get that nitty gritty or who need a way to dissociate from the worry and associate with productive action, kind of getting that detailed in a journal on a piece of paper about every step of the process might help you. It might not help you. You may (laughs) need to go watch a Netflix (laughs) marathon to get distracted from some of that, but that's okay. Everybody approaches these things differently, but make sure you come in with a plan. Now, the last thing I'll say in getting everybody ready for these races is sort of a, a mini, mini vignette from my trip. We had one day, it was a long run day. We did 18 miles, point to point on, the, on this island of Crest in Croatia. Absolutely amazing run, part trail, part road. The night before, we'd had a ridiculous you know, five or six course dinner with wine and so forth. And that went pretty late. I, for whatever reason, ended up drinking out of a bottle of wine at the end of the night. Things got a little crazy and rowdy about midnight. And we had to get, you guys do not know how rare that is. That is a very good night. We had to get up at 545, right. To go drive to the start of this run. And, and, you know, I'm not the one to do that and, you know, maybe wasn't handling my alcohol as I should. And so I woke <laughs> up. Vacation, dude. Come I on. woke up. Yeah. But I woke up still a little bit inebriated after only getting about five hours of sleep or four and a half hours of sleep. And and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is going to be really rough. Got in the van. We drove to the start. I was struggling mightily. Uh, and, you know, but I knew I was going to do this thing. Like, no matter what, I was going to get it done. Like, there was no part of me that was going to back off because I it drank too much. It was just how bad it was going to suck, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I get there, and then we, we get started. And, 
I mean, it was a beautiful start line, but that doesn't matter. I wasn't enjoying it as much as I should because I was just focused on like trying to get going and not lose my dinner from the night before. And we get started first half mile or so is on the road, and then we jump off on this trail that got really technical really fast. And as somebody who was still recovering from the night before, <laughs> that was not a good recipe. From somebody who is not a good technically technical <laughs> trail runner, it was also not good. So I was in a bad place, and I got to a dark spot pretty quickly in that run. And the two guys I was running with on the trip for most of the time, they they got me. They took off. Like suddenly, I couldn't see them. I couldn't keep up with them on the technical trails. And so I kind of threw this little mini pity party. You know, in the opening miles, I'm like, man, now I got to run 18 miles plus on trail by myself. I'm feeling terrible. This is going to suck. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, I had a little bit of an existential crisis. Uh, But put my head down, kept rolling. I'm like, all right, just get through this next section. See what happens. A couple miles later, we had and we had an aid station at mile four. So I knew that was coming. And as I got closer to that, I saw one of the guys a little bit ahead of me. You know, I kind of caught a visual of somebody. I'm like, okay, well, he's not that, you know, one of the guys not that far ahead of me. Let's see what I can do to try to catch him before the aid station. I didn't quite get there, but by, by the time I got to the aid station, he had stopped. We'd both stopped to refill our handhelds. And the other guy, this guy Jacob, who is really good on technical trail, he was just gone. And so we were talking to our Slovenian guide and driver at the water. I was filling my aid station i'm like man i don't feel good and he knew he knew he was at the dinner he knew it wasn't going to be a good morning for me <laughs> and and i said jacob you know who had kind of taken off i was like he's not fucking around today like he's you know he got me pretty good and and the slovenian guy looks at me <laughs> and he goes game on <laughs> sweetness <laughs> and and i was like like literally it was like he snapped his finger in my face and he was like you know game on and Beautiful. he flipped the switch in my head like my pity party went immediately out the window i filled my bottle as quick as i could i screwed it on and i was and i took off like a, bat a hashtag of, like a bat <laughs> out of hell and it was down this pretty technical downhill that normally i would have been really hesitant on but i was going after this guy i'm like all right well i'm not gonna let this go down like this and so then i went to chase jacob and we passed one of our other guides at some point during that next stretch and i maybe a couple miles later i was like what's my gap and he's like i think you're four or five minutes back i'm like oh my gosh like damn that was (laughs) that's a lot and so that just kind of got me going again i'm like all right so then i'm like well gotta got work to do and then we hit this road section and i was that was flat and i'm like all right well this is the this is my chance so i was i was cranking it flying on these on this road section and then we hit an uphill on the road as well and i was like all right this is time to to dig deep and go chase him and then finally i i saw i got a glimpse kind of up the hill and through a few switchbacks i saw a glimpse of jacob with his backpack I'm like, okay, there he is. Now it's <laughs> he's in the sights. Now the like, game is really yeah, on. So it's really on. Anyway, I ended up catching him by the next age station about, I guess, 10 miles or so into the run. And uh, the rest of the day, we ran together. We had a good laugh over our little kind of cat and mouse game. And we finished, you know, everybody together. And anyway, it was it was just a reminder for me that I think relates to 
any race situation or any situation where you're like, you know what? I don't know. This is going to be tough. Or it's like game on, you know, it's like, this is why, as you said, like we choose to do this. This is why we're doing it. It's like game on. Like, so my message to the world listening who's racing this fall is game on. Um, I got nothing to add to that, Chris. <laughs> that is uh, that is a great way to end. And if that's not an advertisement for Rogue Expeditions, I don't know what <laughs> is. So um, I got to see I am uh, Instagram friends with about eight of the people that were on that trip. And I was the most jealous dude on the planet <laughs> looking at the trip that they took that looked that particular trip looks just amazing. And of course, all the Rogue Expedition trips are amazing. Um, anyway, yeah. end of Dear Allison and Gabe, my check should be in the mail soon. <laughs> um, anyway, but yes. you, you should go on a Rogue Expeditions trip. They are yeah. these kinds of things happen on a consistent basis and um, that kind of beauty and is amazing. But don't do it before your big race if you've got a big one coming. <laughs> That's right. But there you go. Final words. Game on. Thanks to everybody for listening. This has been episode 93. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.